Last week, we read from a scripture in Mark 8, where we talked about Jesus, you know, when the disciples came to him, and he was talking to him, and he said, who do people say that I am? And, and so he asked one question, he said, who do people say I am? And so they said, well, so think about it. They must have been talking enough or hearing enough to know various opinions. They said, well, uh, some think you're this Old Testament prophet, you know, that's come back. Because they knew those people were powerful. They recognized Jesus was powerful. They recognized things were happening through him. And then, then they said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah, different prophets. Or, or some even said you're John the Baptist raised from the dead because, the, you know, he had been beheaded. And uh, they knew he was from God, too. So they said, well, maybe you're him. And so a lot of people had opinions, but not one of the opinions they gave about Jesus was correct. That's huge because, you know, there are a lot of times we're going to get opinions from the world about who Jesus is, and they're not going to always be correct. You with me? And so we shouldn't be bothered. Jesus didn't even get mad. He didn't go, I can't believe those guys. But his question next was, who do you say that I, I am? And then what happened was, here they go. They, you know, the first one to speak was Peter, and he said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And he was right. And how they knew him was important. But we said this, there's another side to this story because the Bible said Jesus gave his life and lived his life as an example for us how we ought to live. So the other side of this story is a lot of people are going to see you in a different light. They might think, oh, well, they're religious, they're spiritual, just like they named Jesus something, but they didn't get it right. The important thing is knowing who you are in the Lord. And so the question would be not just what do people think about you and who do they say you are, but who do you know you are because of Jesus and the work he did in you when you received him? That's important because some people say, well, I'm just not worthy and I'm not good enough, you know. He's a preacher. It's amazing to me how many people think because you're a preacher, you're different. No, you have a gift. But everybody has a gift when they're saved to do something in the church and to serve in the kingdom of God. Everybody. And so it's just a different gift, but it's given from the Lord. But concerning your salvation, the Bible calls it the common salvation. In other words, you are no different than the Apostle Paul who was used to write two-thirds of the New Testament. You're no different than Peter who was used to write parts of the New Testament and walk with the Lord. Now, you don't have the same gift, so you're not going to travel the world maybe, but your salvation is common. You've been washed in the blood of Jesus when you received him, so you are not guilty in God's sight. And being that you're not guilty, that means you have good standing with God through the blood of Jesus. That's the payment. And then he made you brand new. Inside, recreated you, the Bible said, in Christ Jesus unto good works. Those are the same things that Paul had. Those are the same things that Peter had. We don't have a different salvation. But many times people don't identify with who they are. They identify with who someone else is. 
And so we started last week in a familiar verse of Scripture uh, that a lot of people know. And a lot of people think of this Scripture, and I'll let you turn there in 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, as a Scripture about dating. And so when you hear that, and if you're married, you think, well, this won't matter for me. Just like if I told you, hey, turn to Ephesians 5, we're going to talk about married people. Then single people go, this doesn't matter to me. No, the principles, there are certain underlying principles that matter for every believer. And so 2 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, we're going to look at this verse. And when we start reading it, you know, you might think, yeah, this is about dating because it's been used a lot in that area. But it actually is quite a bit more than that. In other words, there is a big side in these scriptures about personal identification. So I wouldn't expect, a, you know, somebody who's six years old to start having a serious relationship. But they could teach this in the kids' church and teach them some stuff and it would help them to identify with who they are and who the world is. And so it doesn't matter about age. It matters about who you are. Are you saved? And then these become identification scriptures. You know what I mean by identification? You know, um, don't we have a driver's license? Now, driver's license many times is a vision of faith. You said, what are you talking about? Because you don't really weigh what it says because you put it lower because you went, oh, well, you know. <laughs> right? So it's not even always true. You're like, I didn't know you weigh that. Well, by faith I do. No. <laughs> but the Bible is a book of identification that actually tells you who you really are in Christ when you've given your life to the Lord. But we have an identification card called a driver's license that will tell you your height or around your height, your hair, depending on what color you had it at the time, you know, your weight, uh, literal where you were coming from, where you're going to, or what you dream of. But this is just factual stuff. That's why the Bible said we're to look inside the book and it will transform us. Why? Because it helps us to see who we really are. Because if you go by your feelings after you get saved, you're going to get messed up. You know? One of the guys in the Old Testament who got deceived, he went by his feelings. He was handing out an inheritance to his kids. And one of the, and one of the, the older son was real hairy. And um, his name wasn't Harry. But he was just real hairy, and he came in. Well, he didn't come in. It was He had actually sold his birthright to his brother without the family knowing. But the time that his father was old and ready to die, they would lay hands on their children and pass the blessing on. And the other son, who was younger, came in and had some fur, and the father couldn't see. So he reached out his hand, and he said he felt... And it felt a certain way. And he said, now your voice is different. And he just kind of talked him through it. And he said, well, but it feels like. 
And then he laid hands on him and gave the blessing. Then when the real son came, that the blessing of, you know, to be upon him being the firstborn child, he said, okay, dad, you can pray for me now. I said, I've already prayed. It's already gone. But how did it get messed up? It got messed up because they were going by their feelings. And, you know, you can get messed up when you go by your feelings. Well, it doesn't feel like I'm blessed. It doesn't feel like the Lord loves me. It doesn't feel like I'm new. It doesn't feel like I'm in good standing. That's why you've got to learn to get past some of that. Right? And in life, we learn how to get past some of those things. Right? We train kids when they're young to be able to get out of bed on their own so that they can make it to school on time so that they can have that habit when they're older so they can get to work on time. Is that important? But do you know what you're really teaching them? Learning how to live apart from how they feel. Because there will be days you feel like, I think I feel like sleeping. There might be a lot of days you feel like laying there for hours, but you act apart from how you feel, and you just get up and you just go. Well, we should take that principle to the Word of God, too, and just not, oh, because some days you're going to feel good about things with the Lord, and other days you're going to be like, well, I don't feel forgiven, but I know I am because He said it. And so these scriptures right here are really... uh, There is a principle you could say about dating, joining up with some things. But at the same time, it is an identification group of scriptures. Notice this in the 14th verse of 2 Corinthians 6. It says, do not. So how many of you know, like when Moses was on the mountain, he got the commandments. He didn't come down and say, behold, you know, he, he came down and said, behold, you know, remember he had the stone tablets. He didn't say, behold, the ten suggestions. No, they were commandments. You, you don't get any stronger than do not. Or I don't know a way to say it stronger than that. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, we talked about what that means. It literally means, you know, there was a yoke, which is a big wooden piece that has two, like, humps on it, and they would put one on one ox, and they'd put one on another. They would attach it to a, to a plow or whatever, and then they would plow with that. They call it a yoke of oxen. They would attach them together. And we're not going to get into this same stuff we talked about last week, but, but what if you attach that ox to to the yoke, and then put a rooster on the other side. The lines aren't going to be straight. You're going to be going in circles. That's why he said, don't be unequally yoked together with these things. Because you're like this, and they're like this. And if you do, it's just, it's not going to be compatible. You know, you're going to be carrying the load. You're going to be trying to push forward. Instead of the one helping, they're going to be a drag. You with me? And so he said, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then he starts comparing what a believer is like and an unbeliever. 
He said, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And we know from the Bible, the Lord has made us in right standing and really took care of the sin issue for the believer. And then it goes on to say, what communion has light with darkness? And we know the Bible said, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. And then he references the world as darkness. And he's talking about not only about people being joined together with others, but you could also say there are just things in the world that are darkness that you shouldn't join up with. Ways and things because you are the light of the world because of what Jesus has done for you. And it goes on to say, verse 15, and what accord or agreement has Christ with Belial or Satan? And we know we're the body of Christ. The Bible said in members individually. And then we talked about this, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? What agreement does God's temple have with idols? You know, it goes on to say some different things, but we won't read that yet. Wednesday night at the Young Adults, I touched on this a little bit because I was saying, I might do this Sunday morning. And I said, what if, you know, because he said here, you're the temple of God. If you keep reading, it says, for what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He basically just said, the believer is the dwelling place of God. Many times people think it's this building. The reason why this building has God moving in it is because we're doing something in it, and we are the people of God. And we've learned some things, and so we're practicing them, and we experience God here. But he didn't say the building is, but we understand we've dedicated this building to that. But the reason that things happen is because of the people and connecting with certain principles of God. But really, when the people leave, you might be able to come in here and sense God's presence. But when the people leave that have God in them, he goes with them. So we never have to say to a believer, the Lord go with you. That's like saying, your skin go with you. I didn't say your hair go with you because some people could leave that behind. But your skin, you can't. You with me? And so to say something like that is really just not understanding who lives in you when you got saved. Oh, Lord, be with me today. It's going to be a tough day. That is a prayer that needs not to be prayed. It's just a misunderstanding that God is not going to leave you, and he's going to be with you, and he's not just going to take your hand and hold your hand today. Because he don't live just outside of you, he lives in you. And so he's going to be with you, period. That's why you don't go by your feelings, because you're like, uh-oh. And then all of a sudden you're praying and stuff, and you start sensing, oh, God's here. No, he was there. Once you got saved, he made a promise to you that he'd never leave you. 
And so we talked about this. What agreement has the temple of God, which you are? The person who saved is. You are the dwelling place of God with idols. He makes this contrast. I said this, and I'll say it again. What if you came in this morning right here, there was like a, something covered, and it was about this tall, kind of pointed on the top, and it had a sheet over it. You know, just a, It would have to be black because it would match. And so we had that right here, and it was right here. And at this time in the message, I said, what I want to let you guys know is we're going to keep this in here every week from now on. This is just something new that we want to have, and it's a pedestal about this high, but you don't know that, and up on top is something else. And I pull the sheet off, and it's like Vishnu. Somebody said, who's that? A Hindu god. Or I got a Buddha up there. I said, every week from now on, we, we just, you know, we're going to have this Buddha statue here. And that, that's what we're going to, we're going to have that. We love Jesus, but we're going to have this, this Hindu God right here also. How many of you, if it was your first time you came and you saw that just sitting there and you came in and you saw the thing sitting there, would you question this church? How many of you were coming here and I said that and you didn't know me? well enough, and you thought, uh, what? How many of you would think, you know what, I think this might be our last Sunday? <laughs> if I was totally serious. No. But the thing is, is the building is the building. He, think about this. He is giving that kind of comparison to joining a lost person to a saved person in a dating relationship or a marriage relationship. There's such contrasts, but there are contrasts in other areas of life. And if you, I mean, first of all, don't think you'd be the first one to get upset about having that. I'd be on top of it. It would not be here. It's just not compatible in so many ways. But what we need to not forget is you are the temple of God. And some things, you need to know who you are, and some things are just not compatible with you. They're just not compatible with you. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about these scriptures right now like we did the, last week, but turn to 1 Samuel. This is an interesting set of scriptures, 1 Samuel 5. But, I mean, how many of you would, you know be sitting here through the whole service or be patient enough to hold out and thinking, this is crazy. This is nuts. We knew this kind of stuff would come in the last days. You know, the Bible talks about that. But how many people settle with certain things in their life that don't belong and are that different than them as a believer? You are the temple of God. He said joining an unbeliever to somebody who's single, that's not good. But there are things you can join to your life that are not good, that are super contrasting. And if we're bitter about that, and when I say bitter, I don't mean angry, but it leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. Certain things should leave a bitter taste in your mouth as a believer. And when I say in your mouth, I mean from the inside. 
you know, not, not somebody's food they cook, cooked you. I mean, these types of things. But here is an interesting uh, set of scriptures, and it says uh, the, the temple or, you know, some of the things of God had been taken, the ark in the Old Testament was where uh, the symbol of God really among them. The angels, it was where the mercy seat was, and it was, it was really the picture of where the people, that, that's where God was. The tablets were in there, you know, the Ten Commandments and different things, Aaron's rod that budded and just some different things, had golden angels over it, you know, and, and it was really a picture of kind of, you know, in heaven where the Lord sits and there's angels over him. And so there's a symbol of this thing here. Now, in the Old Testament, they had this. In the New Testament, you're now the dwelling place. And so here in verse 1, it said, Then the Philistines, these were the enemies of God, took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And then verse 2, it says, 1 Samuel 5, 2, it says, And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon. Who's Dagon? He is a false god. He was an idol. He had a body that was sculpted by man, and, and, and they brought it in, and, and uh, they brought this with the temp or with the ark. They put them together. And we know from those scriptures we're not to have certain things together, right? Are we not? Right? Temple of God, you are idols. And so right here it says, and when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it before Dagon. They're trying to join these two things together. They were yoking them up. And verse 3 said, and when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon, and they set it in its place again. Look, if something doesn't work and it's not of God, don't try to make it work. God's not going to work with you to help it work. And so they're trying to prop this up and make this thing work and get this thing back up there. And verse 4 said, And when they arose early the next morning... There was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both his palms of its hands were broken off. And on the threshold, I'm sorry, the threshold only, Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any of those or any of those who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. Think about these scriptures right here. They tried to join an idol with where God met them or met the children of Israel. What was the centerpiece of the temple? They kept trying to prop it up and making it to make it work. And it wouldn't work. And the thing kept breaking. 
And when you get in a relationship with anything that's not of God, now there may be some work with some certain things you have to do, but I'll tell you what, some things just can't stand up, won't stand up. God may be dealing with you to not have this in your life, and you just know it way down inside, and you're like, but this, I just, this is how, you know, I got to stand this up. And the Lord will deal with you, no, 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 or the Word will deal with you, and you'll know I shouldn't do this, and you try to do it. We just need to understand, if it's not compatible, we should not try to make it work. You with me? God is not in it, and we want God in what we do. These people who were of these false gods even recognize the superiority we as believers should recognize who's in us and that we do have the life of God. The very life that God has is in you. The very Spirit of God lives in you. You know, it, just because we teach kids, well, ask Jesus into your heart. Now, who's in your heart? They'll say, Jesus is in my heart. That's more than a cute saying. It's reality. God lives in the believer when they receive him period. And he doesn't leave you. So he tried to contrast there in 2 Corinthians uh, what you are, who you are as a believer and the world. And I'll tell you what, there is just some effort you shouldn't put into life. You waste your time, you waste your energy trying to prop things up and push to make something happen. And I got to do this. And you know, it's wasteful. You know, it's not right and you're doing something that is just not going to be blessed by God. So what do you do? Try again. No. No. You say, all right, enough of that. Enough of that. that those people had enough sense to recognize uh, enough of that. Psalms 115 is a real interesting verse of Scripture. And we won't turn there. Yes, we will. Psalms 115, it talks about, well, we'll read it. It just talks about some different things that cannot respond to you. Psalm 115, 5 through 8, it says, They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have noses they, noses they have, but they do not smell. Verse 7, they have hands, but they do not handle. Well, they can't do anything. They have feet, but they do not walk and they do not move. Nor do they mutter, though they have a throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. People who follow idols who are lost are like the idols that they make. Whatever your idol is, even if your idol is a TV, not that you can't watch TV, but it cannot be the thing that controls your life. But here's the interesting thing. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have a mouth, they can't speak. 
Idols are like that. What if somebody who was single was going to get married or started dating somebody who was not saved? You know what disadvantages are there? You're dating someone who does not hear from God because God is not in them. You have someone who is not looking to the wisdom of God and accessing the wisdom of God, who's not after the word of God, who doesn't have the counsel of God, doesn't have the life of God, the leading of God, the strength of God, because God's not in them. So how could you look to your partner in life and say, we need to pray. I need to know, what do you think about this? But if that person's you know, not saved and doesn't know the Lord, they don't have a God influence in them. They're absence, absent of all of it. But then the th same thing is true in our lives. If we have things in our life that are just not of God, they don't have a voice from God. They don't have strength from God. They don't have help from God. And so when we try to look for them, and look to them to give us comfort, give us life, give us hope, give us help. They're absent of it. That's what he was saying. There's such a contrast between you and the things of the world. And sometimes people look to the things of the world that are just lacking. And they cannot help you. And some people don't recognize who they are. So they don't ac actually recognize how they should act. You with me? We would think it's the strangest thing if we had a watchdog and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody comes to the house and the dog runs around the corner of the yard and runs to the fence and goes, cock-a-doodle-doo. Now, you could get a lot of money, I'm sure, for that dog, but it's just not doing what it's supposed to do. It, it, I guess it hasn't identified with who it is. But we recognize who it is. And if we could recognize that in a dog, we should start recognizing who we are and who the world is. Does this mean we condemn the world? No, because we were all in the world. The Bible said we were all. Those outside of Christ were without hope and without God. So we have the hope of the world and the help that the world desperately needs. But the whole thing is like, you know, we used to say, don't missionary date. You say, what's that? Well, when you find somebody you like and they're not saved and, you know, you go on a mission trip to win people. So they talk about missionary dating. You go out with them and I maybe win them to the Lord. No, what will happen is your emotions will get attached to them. And the Bible said we don't know who will be saved. That's why he tells us, be careful. You with me? But we need to identify with who we are because if we know who we are and how we're made, we wouldn't just put ourselves in certain situations. I mean, we can look underneath the hood of a car and see a motor and those turning parts, and it's got like a, looks like a propeller on the front. You know, it looks like a propeller, and you know, and I... I have this little Cuisinart thing in the thing, and it, in the house, and it broke, and it had, had a thing that looks like a propeller. Maybe I could bring this in the house, and I can blend up these tomatoes. Now, we laugh because how stupid does that sound, and foolish is that? But it kind of has a propeller, and it's got a thing that looks like a propeller. 
Well, one's a fan to blow air, and the other is not a propeller, because you don't want to stick your finger in there, and you wouldn't on a propeller either, but it's made to cut stuff. And we just need to know who we are, because then we can know where we need to be and what we need to do in life, and we can go, I don't belong in the kitchen cutting tomatoes, I belong under the hood, you know, powering the car. You understand? But you have to identify with who you are, and you're not going to find out just by your feelings. Because you're going to leave church today going, "Woo, yeah, I know who I am. And then maybe by Tuesday you might feel like, well, that's not me. I don't feel like that. But it is you if you're saved. You just flat out are that whether you feel it or not. And if you'll act according, your feelings will line up. But they were following things that didn't have what they had in God. And you could see how at a disadvantage somebody could be. Now, if you've married somebody and they're not serving God, don't condemn yourself. You just already know that there are some challenges that other people don't have. Now, that's not an excuse for a believer going, okay, then I guess I can do that. No, because there are other people who have done it who would encourage you, uh, don't do it. Are they being mean to you? They're trying to rain on my parade. No, your parade has already got rain coming down on it. You with me? And you're trying to open an umbrella over it to make it not rain. And so you just have to be honest. And you just need to be open to what the Lord says. And so turn with me here to Galatians. In the New Testament, in the fifth chapter, Galatians 5. We don't need to try to make things work and try to do things that aren't right from God. Because they come with their own flavor, so to speak. They will taint the Kool-Aid. You, you, you know what I mean by that? They'll flavor your life a certain way. And we, when we got saved, we... We came out of something because we were not satisfied with where we were. Or we found out about the Lord and found, you know, He drew you and you gave your life to the Lord. And then you found this is good. But when we start mixing things in, it starts taking that flavor away and we'll start losing out on the taste of eternal life and the things of God. And we start forgetting what it's like sometimes. Some, you know, you don't have to. But what we need to realize is there is an element of just getting some of those things out of our life. So that we get the real taste. And so Galatians 5 is actually talking about this. And he said here in the uh, ninth verse, he said... A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, other places where it talks about leaven, he said, purge out the old leaven that you might be a new lump. Now, that's not how you want to identify with yourself as being just a lump. But he was basically saying, if you leave the leaven in the bread, it'll just kind of spread through the whole bread, and the whole bread will get affected by the leaven. And then it will have air in it. In other words, it will have less substance. 
because that's what leaven does. It's not as solid. It airs it up. It loses something, you know, in the sense of being solid. And so when he said, purge out the old leaven that you might be a new lump in the Lord, he's basically saying anything that affects you in a way that's not positive for the Lord, get rid of it. Now, that doesn't mean if you work for a boss who's just not perfect, we get rid of him. No, we're in the world, but not of the world, and we're to reach people. He's talking about things you allow in your heart. You can't just get rid of everything in this life. We live in this world, and we can live as overcomers. But he's talking about letting things into your life that would infect you and infect you. And if you would get them out, he said, you would become a new lump. You would have solidness. You'd have substance. You would be what you were created to be. You would experience what you were created to experience. People who really go for it with God live that kind of life. They experience. They recognize things. Now, don't get me wrong. If you think I'm teaching a message that you'll never be tested and never be tried again, you're crazy. And you're just going to float along if you get rid of it. Certain things, you're crazy. Because we know the Bible said many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of them all. And so he'll be with you and he'll help you, but he personally wants to be involved in your life. And the factor of him being able to do all that he wants is our personal obedience. You with me? Why? Because you are the light of the world. You have the life of God in you. You actually have his strength in you. And if we would watch what we get yoked up to, we'll be able to walk in such a way that will be good. Amen? Like I said last week, if I connect that ox to a rooster and I'm the guy who works in the field for somebody and he hired me and he comes back and said, how are you doing? And they come and he comes and looks and said, why in the world are all the plow marks in a big circle? Well, I've been working all day long. And well, I wanted you to do big straight ones. And then he turns and looks at the ox and the rooster connected to the yoke, and say, why did you do that? Well, that's what I found. But you got to recognize that'll hinder your progress. It doesn't mean you're not who you are in the Lord. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he's not for you. It just means you've joined yourself to something, be like throwing an anchor out the boat when you're driving. And I mean still connected to a rope. And it connected to the boat. You with me? Don't some things paint a picture for you? Hopefully you're not still picturing an idol up here. Because we're not going to have one. Right? But it just helps us to recognize some things are just not compatible with you. If you know the Lord.